We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Bigs. We're talking bigs. Positional previews today. We're talking the big men, Blake Griffin, Nick Claxton, all those guys. But Jack, we're going to start with the returning players, the new ads, the subtractions. And first off, we got Blake Griffin returning, Nick Claxton returning, LaMarcus Aldridge returning, and new additions. We have Paul Millsap, Dayron Sharp, and subtractions. We have Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan. What do you make of all these different moves in the group compared to last year to this year? Substantial depth, Nick. That's a, the, the biggest thing. You lose the, you know, maybe your best wing big in, yep. in Jeff Green, um, but you also get rid of your least, you, obviously a great locker room presence in what DeAndre Jordan did provide the team, but in terms of the productivity and reliability that he's going to give this team, it'd be substantially less even a guy like rookie Daron Sharp. So, what the Nets have added here, as we've said plenty, plenty of times, is the most positional versatility at a position that we have in a preview that we're going to do. Yes, there's, we have a lot of guards and they're great guards and they're superstars, but there's almost a glut at the big man position uh, for the Nets going into 21-22. Yeah, like we've talked about previously, maybe this is the deepest big group that the Nets have had you know, since they've been in Brooklyn, probably. I can't really think of a time where they've had this many like Quincy Acey, Nick, and Ed Davis, these legends for the Nets. I, don't, I can't think of a time where they've had this many playable bigs. You know, guys that they feel comfortable putting on the floor. We talked about it before. You know, a lot of time it's Ed Davis and Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen. You know, at times they were having to play Quincy Acey big minutes or it was just Brooke Lopez alone out there. So all these years throughout Brooklyn, maybe Kevin Garnett and Brooke Lopez, but they never really matched up well. So now they have some real combinations they can throw out there, some real big lineups they can throw out where they can play a Nick Claxton and Blake Griffin and Nick Claxton and Paul Millsap, maybe even Nick Claxton and LaMarcus Aldridge. So they have options to kind of adjust to other teams while still maintaining that high level of skill because of the versatility this group has to match up. And you kind of mentioned subtractions. Obviously, DeAndre, you know, had some decent moments in the regular season, did not play in the postseason. And Jeff Green kind of fit into this category as well as the wing category did a lot for this team in a lot of different ways. And I think obviously he's undersized to play, you know, center as much as he did last season. So it might be a benefit to be a little bigger at different points. Obviously you'll still lose some of that offensive pop and some skill, but getting to kind of the season review last year for this group, 
how would you gauge it as a whole, Jack, to just kick things off? Like, would you look at it? What would be the description you give? Look, it was, there were successes and there were disappointments. And obviously we'll get to that in a little bit. You know, I think Blake was a welcome surprise. LMA, LA, whatever you want to call him, um, his nickname is, was awesome in the, the, the limited time that he had as a Brooklyn net. But, you know, what we wanted and expected from a guy like DeAndre Jordan was substantially less. And the reliability that we had from him um, was substantially less. And obviously, you know, you throw in a, a Reggie Perry. I can't believe that the subtraction of Reggie Perry didn't make it. And obviously, he's in Toronto now, and, and we wish him all the luck in the world. But overall, you know, it's... I think the, the uh, promise from Nicholas Claxton and the postseason performances from Blake Griffin were enough to go, okay, there's something here. Yeah, I think it was kind of almost a roller coaster ride of a season for this position group because you look at it to start the year, you have Jared Allen, you have DeAndre Jordan, you know, you look at Kevin Durant and Jeff Green kind of filling out those spots, you feel not great, but you feel okay. Then you make the trade, you lose Jared Allen, now that group's really weak, you're depending on DeAndre, you're playing Jeff Green a lot at center. Blake was kind of a savior for this group and giving them some depth, especially when DeAndre play, came on playable. And then LaMarcus Aldridge in that small stint was really good. And then Clax obviously showed that pop when he got healthy. So it was just kind of like, yeah, there's some pop to this group and they can fit in some different things. But overall, there was just some points where you're like, they needed a little bit more or just a little bit more consist consistency and dependableness. And obviously, LaMarcus being out because of the health issue, you can't really put that on him. But when it got to the postseason that's where it kind of became a weakness almost. Not that Blake and Claxton played bad, but there wasn't an advantage for the Nets in that position group. And not that there needs to be, but you just kind of hope for them maybe not to get overpowered as much, especially when it comes to the boards. Yeah, it wasn't that Claxton played bad. He just didn't play. You know? yeah. and, and I think that there could have been a credible argument to throw him out there a little bit more. And I think that in... What you want in the postseason is a guy that isn't going to get exploited, but you know there was a, a credible enough argument that Clax could get exploited by the strength and toughness of a Giannis Antetokounmpo, Brook Lopez, these sort of guys, and obviously the Nets didn't even come up against the Sixers. So now you have all these names and and all of these different options puts the Nets in a pretty enviable position, even if they do suffer injuries, even if Nicholas Claxton doesn't reach his potential. You know, you've got you know the vets that are, are reliable enough out there. Even if Paul Millsap doesn't give you much, you've still got Blake Griffin, you've still got LaMarcus Aldridge. Now, you've got Bruce Brown who can play that big, small. You know, Kevin Durant who can play up a little bit. You know, uh, James Johnson, all these guys that we'll talk about in, you know, in the guards and wings preview. Uh, there's just a, a lot of flexibility at that four and five position, which is you know, something that you want. How uh, Do you have the the superstar power of uh, Joel Embiid, of a Nikola Jokic? Do you have the the all-level defensiveness of you know Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella, these sort of guys? No, but you've got enough there that you can just go, well, this isn't working, let's try something else. And Steve Nash has shown that he is willing to do that. Um, so I think that having the options there is going to be maybe not the highest of luxuries, uh, maybe not the real Gucci bags, but you know one of those fake ones that you get from a you know a, 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 on the side of you know in, in the East Village, but it still looks goddamn good and it works the same. 
Yeah, it still does its purpose. And I think even just because they have the option to have different guys that are playable, it'll unlock some different things. And I think you pointed this out before. Claxon Blake a combination, a two-man combination last year, 97 minutes plus 18.8. Now, the Nets really couldn't go to that in the postseason given they only had really two dependable bigs to play. Jeff Green was pretty banged up. DeAndre wasn't playable. It's not like Steve Nash could afford to play these guys a ton together because he needed Blake to be out there or Clax to be that backup option. Now you can go to that little two-man combination a little bit more and truly play big because, hey, LaMarcus can play backup center. You know, Millsap can fill, fill in some of that Blake role. Like you mentioned, maybe James Johnson gets out there a little bit too. So I think there's just more options and more flexibility for the Nets to play big where last year they're almost handicapped because they just didn't have enough playable bigs in the postseason. I mean, they say less is more, Nick, but I'm all about more is more. Give me more. I just want it all. All the you best can is eat. the best. <laughs> the best is the best, and you'd rather have – You'd rather be in the position where the Nets are now than know where they have been in seasons past. Now, is the big man position where you want to be stacked at? No, you would rather have, you know, Otto Porter Jr., Jeff Green, all these guys at the wing position. But talent is talent. Options are options. Playable guys are playable guys. And, you know, the Nets have four genuinely playable rotation players at the 4-5 position. And, you know, obviously a promising rookie in Daron Sharp as well. So... You know, I'm pretty goddamn, this is probably the position, you know, obviously it doesn't have the superstar talent that, you know, Kevin Rand has a wing and Kyrie Irving and James Harden and Cam Thomas, nah, as the, the guards and wings do have. But there is a, a lot of potential, a lot of versatility, a lot of different options, a lot of skills, a lot of strengths. Yeah, and before we jump fully into the strengths and weaknesses, Jack, would you consider last year for this position group a success or disappointment? I think it was just a success based off Blake Griffin, Nick. You know, it's a little bit reductive to just focus on that, but Blake Griffin's postseason performances, getting him as a buyout and him returning this year, you know, obviously we're a big fan of his personality, but, you know, the performances that he had in that postseason, basically the second best postseason player for the Brooklyn Nets, you know, and, and I don't think it's a real stretch to say that. Yes, there were individual highlights from Harden, from Kyrie, but, you know, Blake Griffin was out there consistently supporting Kevin Durant. You know, for you know, all 10, 15, 20, however many games we, it was that we played out there. So, uh, and, and Clack showed enough in the regular season. LaMarcus, obviously, now that he's back, I think is you can uh, obviously maybe if, if he hadn't returned, you would have said that as a disappointment. But the fact that he's coming back and he is healthy and he is fit, then you would go, that was pretty successful. Five games, as successful as five games did that I've seen from a player um, in, in my time from recent memory. So, look, I'm a, a glass half full guy most of the time when it comes to this sort of stuff, um, even though I'm generally a pessimist in general. But when it comes to individual players, I like to, to look at the, the positive side of things. But you can certainly look at it from the opposite and go, well, Look, Blake Griffin, you know, Giannis still put up 30-point triple-doubles. You know, Clax wasn't good enough to get out there in the postseason. LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, why did the Nets waste a roster spot on him? You know, there is that argument, but uh, I think it's about perspective, and the perspective that I have is a, a relatively positive one. Yeah, I think if you look at it kind of from, like, long-term and impact on the team, you could state its success, you know, based off the points that you mentioned, Jack. Obviously, Blake is the savior for this team, and now having him this year is going to be huge. Same thing, LaMarcus and Clack showing some pop. But I think you could look at it, too, 
just last year in the short term as a disappointment because the guy that was supposed to be your starting center and DeAndre Jordan became unplayable in the postseason and you kind of got killed on the boards in different areas. And, you know, I don't think that's like a shot at Blake because he's never been kind of this elite rebounder. It's not like he has amazing size. So there's definitely some questions, I think, last year in the big group. But it only got to that point of you having to worry about that because there were so many injuries. If Kyrie and Harden don't go down, I don't think we're looking at it. And I'm not looking at it probably as much of a negative light. It's just that they were asked to kind of step up and there weren't necessarily options for even Steve Nash to use. And maybe some of that's just kind of you make the trade for Harden, you you have to pay the price. And that was kind of the case. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's disappointing that you have to trade DeAndre Jordan after signing him, <laughs> you know, when you signed the, the other two. But the net... I think it would have been more disappointing if the Nets gave up assets, which, yeah. you know, I mean, they did, but the assets they got in return, you know, you can very very make a, a pretty goddamn good argument that Sekou Demboya is going to have a bigger role on the Nets next season than DeAndre Jordan ever was, you know, yeah. in terms of just playable minutes, you know, a guy you can just throw out there and go, oh man, Sekou, you know, hit a nice three and, and some nice little wing defense that we got there, whereas DeAndre was literally unplayable. So, uh, good luck, Lake Land. Yeah, I mean, that's that takes maybe a little spicy for me. I'm not sure Sekou has proved that he's playable in the NBA yet either. So, you know, that could be something. We'll see what happens on that case. But, Jack. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Getting to the strengths of this current group, what kind of sticks out to you? Uh, I'm going to go through very quickly all the players, Nick. I Griffin, toughness, taking charges, defensive physicality, three-point shooting and passing, clack switchability, energy, ability to run the court, great athlete and wingspan. 
uh, uh, LA, uh, he's post offense, relatively reliable in a drop defense, you know, a decent enough three ball as well. Millsap, a good all around big man, a bit of versatility to play the four and five, can pass, hit a shot, make plays on either end of the floor. Uh, and the rookie, Dan Sharp, you know, a monster rebounder and a really physical guy, great screener, uh, and also a great athlete. So those are the points that I had individually on each player. Yeah, I kind of looked at it from that way and another way from the whole group. I think, you know, a strength is just there's multiple capable bigs, like we've talked about, that can play at the NBA level, can play in the postseason as well, and could provide the team some different things. And obviously, in their own way, each of them kind of provides some type of complementary offense. You know, most of these guys aren't really creating in the ISO. You know, Aldridge can do it in the post a little bit. Same thing for Millsap and Griffin. But that's not something you're going to probably see a ton of. Aldridge is probably the only guy that's going to do that somewhat regular. So the way that they can complement the stars and the other players in this team, even with setting screens or whatever it might be. And I think you look at this group, you have three three-point shooters. You know, you have LaMarcus Aldridge, you have Blake Griffin, you have Paul Millsap. And you have Nicholas Blackson and Clax and Sharp developing. So you're looking at that group and you're like, okay, well, this is very unique. I'm not sure Sharp and Clax are there yet, but even just having three bigs that can shoot the three ball is a drastic improvement from what we've seen in years past. And then also just the versatility they provide for different matchups. Like you mentioned, Clax is, is an elite switching big. And he provides some of that athletic pop and matching up with some of these body types that are going to be out on the perimeter. Now you feel a little bit more confident because Clax has the length to deal with them inside, but also the foot speed to be out there at the three-point line and not look uncomfortable. Then you look at a guy like Marcus Aldridge, who gives you a true big body center. You know, he's a real NBA center with post option, but also has that shooting touch and just like a nice little offensive game being a skilled vet. You got Blake, like you mentioned, Jack. He's a very skilled basketball player, but at the same time, extremely gritty. You know, takes charges, willing to kind of get into it with anybody and just can provide a little bit of offensive spark at different times. Millsap, somewhat similar to Blake, but also it's just kind of that ideal small ball five. Like, kind of almost reminds you to Draymond to some degree in certain extents, not to the fullest, but just kind of the way he can have an impact on the game and just his basketball IQ and different level of kind of being that small ball five, but still also providing good help defense, which could kind of be questionable for Blake at different times other than his charging. Not that Millsap's an elite shot blocker, but I think he's just a little bit more active in that aspect. And then, you know, Dayron Sharp is just kind of that de- developmental piece that's a rebounding monster already and just is a real physical presence out there. So there's just a lot of different strengths to each guy and what they can provide. And I think really the best thing about this group is that they're almost so different, but there's also some similar qualities between them. Yeah, and look, I'll also throw out the, the nickname game. Clack City, great nickname. King Sharp, great nickname. Um, in terms of the charges, Nick, I remember I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this stat. I think it was the jump that put it out there uh, over the past five years. I think Blake Griffin is fourth in charges taken um, across the entire league. So Blake's going to be on the floor quite a bit this year. And I think Lucas might have brought this up on a previous show and how that kind of impacted Giannis. You know what I mean? It was always something in the back of his mind, like this guy's willing to take a charge on me, which a lot of guys aren't. You know, Giannis is a monster. He's going to maybe injure you if you hit the ground that hard. So you respect Blake and what he can kind of provide this team and all these different guys and just the different uh, impact they can have in certain matchups. Definitely, definitely. What do you think about the weaknesses, though? Weaknesses, I think you look at it would be that there's no truly elite players, you know, maybe other than Clax is switching like no one has like an aspect to their game where like the other teams truly game planning it. And then I think each player kind of has a little bit of weakness to their own game, you know, in terms of how another team could exploit them on the floor. 
And there's not necessarily a truly like an elite rim protector that's like a defensive minded true center size. Like Lamarcus is kind of more of that offensive pop rather than a defensive pop. You know, ideally what a prime DeAndre Jordan would have been, and that could have been a huge element on this team. And then I think you also look at, you know, age, you know, Paul Millsap, Blake Griffin, Lamarcus Aldridge, you know, past their prime, not necessarily the best athletes they've ever been. So other than Claxton, I think speed could be a concern. Yeah, I think that there's no one in that sort of prime age of 25 to 29. Yeah, you know, it's either guys that are too young or guys that are, you know, obviously past their best days as, <clears throat> as NBA players. But yeah, I just had basically one or two things on each player. Nick, you know, Blake Griffin, the lateral athleticism, Clax's offensive versatility, despite what James Harden has said, um, are still improving as a screener. Uh, Aldridge's defensive reliability night after night. Millsap, as you alluded to, you know, the age and I guess his, his waning form that goes with that. Um, and Daron Sharp is just, you know, incredibly raw um, and just the general game sensing and experience that he lacks. Yeah, uh, I think we nailed pretty much everything in the weakness department. It's just that each guy, the real problem with the group is there's not one guy out there where the other team can't really exploit it, where he can just be average kind of on both ends of the floor, at least to the extent in which you know, the offense isn't going to look at it in some type of way. You know, with Clax, it could be just a physicality of a Joel Embiid kind of posting him up. And then for Blake, in certain switching situations, he was exposed to a guy like Jason Tatum. And obviously, LaMarcus and Millsap just aren't necessarily at that point in their career where they're the same level of defensive players they once were. But, Jack, where do you think this group needs to improve the most from last year to this year? Look, Nick, I think that the rebounding is one thing that sticks out hugely. You know, the... The Nets overall were not a good rebounding team. And in the postseason against the Bucks, they gave away some pretty important possessions and they weren't able to end, you know, defensive possessions with those with that rebounding. And so I think that that's an area where they're going to be honing in on. Obviously, they do harp on the team rebounding, but, you know, the bigs have to set the, the tone and the standard there. We need to have a guy. If, you know, our bigs averaging a minimum of 10 rebounds between them, you know, just getting those big board numbers. And, you know, I've got a, a bit of hope when it comes to clacks with that. And I think that that's probably the number one thing for me because a lot of the weaknesses, you know, can be balanced out because you have so many options there. You could, like you said, you can put Griffin, Blake Griffin out there because of his toughness, then Nicholas Claxton lacks. And Nicholas Claxton has the lateral athleticism, the switchability that he doesn't have. Now, Aldridge and Millsap, you're going to have to figure out how you're going to, you know, find their best combinations with the other two or three bigs. Um, but I think that that's one thing that, you know, as improvements, you can go, okay, well, we can put some of these pieces together and see how the, the jigsaw sort of fits. Yeah, I think rebounding is huge. And I think, obviously, it's almost an improvement for the entire team because if the biggest task with trying to, you know, block the shot at the rim or contest, that's where other guys need to step up. And I also think some level of defensive consistency, too, just from overall from the team, like at different points, they were not – terrible but there was points where they weren't great during the regular season i think you want to maintain a high level just to kind of continue to elevate in the postseason i think at times you know the screens probably could have been better especially in the postseason you know mostly looking at nick claxton in this category um, trying to improve and get yourself on the floor and then if you know three-point shooting could be better from a guy like clax or maybe even just being a little bit more consistent from blake and lamarcus and paul Millsap. you know lamarcus shot really well in the limited time Millsap not coming off his best shooting season so if the three-point shooting can just be some consistent same with the defensive rebounding that's all you're asking for i don't think this group needs to be amazing they just have to complement the stars and the other skilled positions on this group and kind of do their job and do the dirty work yep because the superstars you know we were the best offensive team in history nick so you just need to be good enough defensively i'm hearing a lot of 
pundits sort of say, but did you see the Nets defensively? Did you see the Nets defensively? But it's just like, yeah, we saw the Nets defensively, but when they were healthy, even like as a team, when the Nets were healthy, they were playing good enough defense and good enough is going to be more than good enough. Um, and that's what the bigs need to provide. And um, good enough will be certainly good enough to win a championship. Yeah, I think they put enough good defensive tape out there during the playoffs to really not necessarily, I don't want to say worry about it, still like not the biggest strength of the team, but enough that it could pass by. Their offense is healthy and they're clicking the way that they were at different points. And I think you'd almost expect the offense to be even better. So for me, I'm not super concerned about the defense. I think there needs to be more consistency. They need to have maybe more packages they can throw out, schemes they can use during the postseason. That's, you know, need to experiment during the regular season for that. But We'll save that for another day. But Jack, rolls on this team going to season. You know, tell me what Blake's going to play. Is he going to be a starter or a bench player? Same thing for Lamarcus, Clax, Millsap, Sharp. What are you thinking in terms of starter or bench for all these guys? I think it's a big question mark, Nick. And if we were doing this after some preseason games and one or two games, it'd be much. I'd have much more confidence in in saying that. But with little to no confidence, I think I don't know who do you think's the most likely starter out of all of these big guys. Yeah, I think staying consistent with our previous podcast, I would think it's Blake. What I have in my notes is starter A is Blake, starter B is LaMarcus. And some of that might be a cheat, but some of it also could just be, hey, Blake's going to rest, LaMarcus is going to start, or vice versa. You know what I mean? Something along those lines. It wouldn't blow my mind, like I said on the lineups episode, if they went with LaMarcus. Part of me kind of prefers to have that true center to start the game just to kind of apply some physicality, especially early on. It seems like when they can have an impact and then go to Blake and Clax on the bench unit would be something fun. So kind of I want to see LaMarcus almost start because I really want to see the Clax and Blake lineup. I agree. I, and, you know, whether you put Bruce or Joe as the other one next to the big three, I think that makes the most sense. And we did see... You know, it was pretty effective in the time that um, LA was with the Nets. And, you know, I think like we sort of alluded to, we've seen Griffin Clax show great success with James Harden in that second unit. So do what works. And then, you know, I guess Millsap is sort of the odd man out. How does he fit? You know, what is his best combination in the front court? Is it as a small ball five? Is it as a four and playing next to a five in Clax or Griff or LA? Um, that's something that I think, We'll be intriguing to see how it does all pan out. I don't know if him and LA will be the best um, in in the front court together, so I'd maybe avoid that. But you know, I I wouldn't be shocked at the same time if there was some effectiveness there too. But yeah, I think the combinations, um, getting them right sooner rather than later, answering those questions, um, are going to be the the biggest challenge uh, for for Steve Nash and his coaching staff. Yeah, I think you look at Millsap and he probably pairs best with Clax. Maybe there's an argument he can work with Blake at certain points, but it'll be interesting during the postseason more so because I think during the regular season, there's going to be more opportunities for minutes because guys are going to rest. Blake's going to rest games. Aldridge is going to rest games. Millsap's going to rest games. You know, I hate to say it, but someone's going to get a nagging injury at some point. They're going to miss, you know, a couple games here and there and other guys are going to have to pop in. And same thing, even you could make an argument that maybe even Clax might have to miss a couple games for the Nets resting because they've kind of, I don't want to say babied him in the past, but kind of protected him to an extent. And that could lead to games where Dayron Sharp is playing a little bit more minutes. I think he doesn't really get in the rotation unless guys are out or guys are really injured, where it's more so, you know, Blake and Clax are guys that I'm pretty confident getting minutes, Lamarcus too, and then Millsap might be the odd guy out. But we could be wrong and maybe Millsap surpasses somebody that we didn't anticipate. If there is a point in the season, Nick, that Clax does start, give me, a, I guess, a game prediction of where you think that he forces his, he forces the Steve Nash's hand and it's just like, man, 
we got to play this kid because, uh, and we've got to give him extended minutes, not just, you know, the, the sparing teens, early 20 sort of minutes here and there. You know, even if Clax was quote unquote getting starter minutes, I don't know if I would even start him still. I still like the idea of putting Lamarcus out there for like the first six minutes or so just to kind of bang around and let Clax go against the smaller guys because you don't want to wear him down. So I'm not really sure. And unless he so really takes. Play devil's advocate on that, Nick. If Clax can't go against the big guys, if he can't do this or that, then what is the point? Because you want to, you would, wouldn't you rather. See if he can do it. You know, give him those opportunities to go against an MB, go against a Jokic, um, and make those mistakes, um, and then go. Okay, this is the tape we have for you here. This is what you need to get better. If you don't see it, and you're just going up against Cody Zeller or someone, then I, I mean, I still think even if you come off the bench, you still get those opportunities. Like we've seen Clax match up with Nikola Jokic in the past. Like that was something that he played a decent amount of minutes at. I just think more so from the wear and tear. Like you could start him a couple games if you want, but kind of almost similar to the Anthony Davis situation. Like, I just don't want him to get injured or deal with some injury or be fatigued just because of banging around so much where it's just like, yeah, it's great, but it's not his strength and it doesn't need to be at this point in his career. I guess uh, maybe a more apt question would be, instead of starter or bench player, closing player. Do you think Clax has the best opportunity to provide the Nets with, you know, the biggest ceiling? We got asked in... Uh, the media day podcast that we did about you know whether you know the, the most improvement and we we're both pretty on a pretty consensus uh, that Clax is the guy that can make the most improvement. Do you think Clax has a good opportunity to close games? Yeah, I think he even has an opportunity to close games to start the season just based off a of skill set and who they're matching up with, especially if it's a team that loves to kind of run those pick and pops or just kind of get into a switching situation and pull up threes where Clax can kind of shut some of those guys down. So. I wouldn't rule him out closing early on in the season in different matchups or whatever it might be. I think some of it could kind of depend on his three-point shot. Same thing with Bruce Brown in that situation. If Claxton and Bruce Brown are both hitting at a fair rate from three and teams have to respect them, now you can play arguably two of your best defensive players while still not losing much offense, and you just became that much tougher to kind of stop in a closing game situation if you weren't already tough enough. Yep, that's it. But, Jack, how would you allocate the minutes for these guys? And obviously, you know, the simple way would be do it out of 48 minutes. But for the most part, that's not how the NBA works because guys miss time. You know, other guys are going to play more. Certain guys are going to be rested. So, yeah, we could break it down through 48 minutes, but that's probably not what it's going to look like at the end of the year. So feel free to go over the 48-minute mark, which I feel like is kind of restricting. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll go through minutes that these guys had last year just as a bit of a yep. you know background. <clears throat> Lamarcus Aldridge in his five games with the Nets, 26 minutes a game, obviously started. Blake, 21 and a half minutes, and Clax, 18.6 minutes. And then Paul Millsap last season um, was averaging 21 minutes a game with the Denver Nuggets. So I think that those minutes would be relatively steady, uh, except for Clax. You know, Clax might be the guy that's just like, man, We've got to play this guy 25-30. I don't think the Nets are going to be wanting to give massive amounts of minutes to their big guys because, as we alluded to with some of the weaknesses, it's the age component there. It's the exposure element with Nicholas Claxton because, you know, he's still, you know, I'm not sure if injury-prone or fragile is, is the right word, but, you know, there is... You want to make sure you're allocating and not overextending these yep. guys in, in certain stretches of the imagination. So I'd bump those clacks minutes up into the 20s. I think Blake around the sort of tw early 20s, maybe 25. LaMarcus Aldridge, 
maybe you downgrade some of those minutes from 26 to 22 and a little bit less than 25 because of, you know, he's working his way back and, you know, we certainly don't want to overextend him um, given, you know, the the health stuff that he has he's suffered in the past. But if he's healthy, you know, he's probably going to be fighting and, and think he's okay for that. Paul Millsap is the one that's hardest to predict for me, Nick, like his just general role with this team because, it is an unknown. We've seen LaMarcus Aldridge with this team. We've seen Blake Griffin with this team. We've seen Clash with this team. Whereas Paul Millsap, how does he fit? What are his minutes going to be? Um, th- that's a, a question I can't totally answer. So I guess I'll just go with 20 minutes again. So I, I think that any you will see anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes with these guys. It's a pretty extensive sort of range. But the guy that can probably play the most is going to be the young guy who's working his way, whose body's continuing to improve, and that's Claxton. You know, you might see some games with Claxton where he's playing 30, 32 minutes a night, and, you know, there might be matchups where Blake's going against Giannis and, and the Bucks, and you want him to be playing 28, 30 minutes because, you know, he's resting off a back-to-back. He played 15 minutes against the Detroit Pistons or something like that. So I think that it will vary and will fluctuate very consistently, but uh, I think the biggest jump will be for Nicholas Claxton. Yeah, I think the thing to think about here is like how many bigs are they realistically going to play every night? You know what I mean? Like, are they going to play three bigs because Katie's going to spend some tour at the, uh, time at the four? You know, James Johnson might get some time at the four. You mentioned some of the other players and even James Harden or Bruce Brown, whatever it might be. So that's where it's like, how do these center minutes really split up and like how much do they depend on each guy every night? Do they end up playing four bigs some nights where, you know, three different guys are playing center on any given night just because they have the luxury of playing them? I'm not really sure. Steve Nash to me seems like more of a guy that would rather stick with three to kind of keep everyone fresh within the rhythm and chemistry type of thing. It's not like the Nets necessarily were playing, you know, 15 guys on a regular basis. So I think the number marks are pretty close, like you said, Jack. It's impossible to really predict these guys on point given the rest and the different types of indications and details will be out through the year. So I think Blake will be around the 20 minute mark and LaMarcus Aldridge, similar thing. I think LaMarcus, maybe there's a chance he's even just in the high teens, given his age and size clacks. Like you said, I feel like he'd be over the 20 minute mark somewhere probably between 20 and 25, but there'll probably be nights where maybe he's dependent on more. I had Millsap more at like that 15 minute range. Cause I'm not really sure where his role really lies. It could easily be up there. And then, Daron Sharp would probably just average like four or five minutes because they'll just get some garbage time here or there. You know, I, I don't think there's going to be a ton of games unless they're extreme blowouts where we're seeing Sharp log double-digit minutes unless he really like pops off in training camp. Yep, totally agree. But Jack, kind of looking at stats for these guys, what are you thinking? Yeah, look, I had anywhere from nine to 12 points a game. You know, I think all of them will get a four to six rebounds and you know, one and a half to three assists. And, you know, they want Sharp, obviously. I couldn't make a prediction because you can't really. Um, but, you know, we know how good of a rebounder he is uh, and is a pretty savvy passer as well. Um, so we know the skills that he possesses. But if you'll get the chance to showcase them, that's the biggest question. So I think that that's the safest range. And, you know, looking back on, on past sort of on past seasons and, and what these guys can produce, I think, you know, because of the fact that there are so many of them, you know, they're not we're not going to see a consistent, you know, 18 points per game for LaMarcus Aldridge or, or something like along those sort of ranges. But, you know, LA is probably going to be the best scorer out of the bunch, but who's going to be the best rebounder? I, I want it to be Klax yeah. um, and, and Millsap, probably the best three-point shooter. So I think that, that it, it, it relates to the discussion we had on strengths and weaknesses and, and balancing all that out. 
Yeah, I think like you said, Jack, it's gonna the scoring for this group is gonna be really interesting because there'll be a night where Lamarcus Aldridge probably drops twenty, maybe even like twenty-two or something like that, and then there'll probably be a night where he scores four points. Same thing with Blake Griffin; he might have a couple nights with two points and a couple nights with eighteen. Clax is was really sporadic scoring wise. Same thing with Millsap. So, like you said, the scoring range could be really all over the place for these guys. I had Blake at ten, Lamarcus around ten, you know, Clax right under ten, and then Millsap for me was like six or seven points. I think. All the guys will average either four or five rebounds. I think Blake's the only guy that really has an opportunity to average multiple assists, just considering his passing, and he'll probably get you know a decent amount of minutes. And then you know, Claxton Alger should be a guy that I think is they're guys that are going to average at least over a block a game, just because of their ability to either be really big in Lamarcus's case or Claxton's athleticism. I'm hoping you know at least three of the four guys shoot over 50%. Clack shot like 60-something last year. He should be doing a lot of dunking in the same thing. LaMarcus is going to have a ton of wide-open shots. Blake shot in the high 40s, and I think he'll be even a little bit more efficient. And then ideally, if you're looking at Blake, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Millsap, if you know all three of those guys can shoot somewhere between like 36 at 39%, that is just a huge element to this team. And I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, two of the three guys have career years from three, just given the amount of open looks and probably what they're working on in camp in the off season. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, they will get the most open shots that they'll ever get. And, you know, LA was shooting really great from three, you know, Blake Griffin was doing the same last year, I think 38 and a half percent or something like yep. that from the perimeter. So, uh, and maybe that, you know, seeing that and, you know, when you see the ball going even for your teammates, maybe that inspires Clacks to, to take a few more um, as well. I think that, you know, shot making is is infectious by nature. Um, and even if it's your teammates, you know, you, you feel a little bit more confident seeing them put the ball down. You want to go, all right, well, I'm going to hit my shots as well. Um, so hopefully, you know, the three-point shooting from this this uh, quad uh, quintuplet, if you add in um, Damon Sharp as well, uh, continues to be a, a positive and strength factor of theirs. Yeah, and I think also something we didn't mention with his strengths is probably passing. You know, Blake's a, a pretty good passer, probably a good passer. Millsap's a pretty good passer as well. And then even Dayron Sharp coming in. Claxton, obviously, not amazing in that passing element, but had a couple highlights last year. And LaMarcus, I think, is just a smart basketball player who can make the capable pass. So that's just kind of another element and something to watch with this team. But, Jack, what are the biggest question marks for this group entering, you know, this season or what you're kind of looking forward to find out throughout the regular season? Yeah, I mean, can improvements be made like you alluded to, Nick? You know, can there be upgrades made from last season's form on for Blake, for Clax, um, for LA? Can they maintain, if not improve? Will they stay healthy? You know, yep. uh, uh, the age and, you know, as we sort of alluded to, health is going to be the biggest question about this book and Nets team in general. And that pertains to this, um, these glutter, this position as well. Um, and, and I think that with Millsap, Will the Nets bring out the best of him? What is his role going to be? What is the role going to be for all of these guys? What are the lineup combinations uh, that work? And, and and Steve Nash, how does he maximize all of it? Um, and with on Sharp, can he you know actually earn some minutes? Can he can he get out there and, and can he learn some stuff in Long Island? And you know will he go back to Long Island? So I think that there's different questions to for different players and also some big picture stuff uh, that relates to the position overall. Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed a lot of it, Jack. I mean, you're just kind of looking how the defense looks for a lot of these guys, like how capable they are in defending and how they'd be in maybe in a playoff situation and how that fits together. And 
are there any other two-man combinations other than Claxton and Blake that can work and play in a playoff setting possibly or something you can go to if you need to match up big? And I think that's going to be probably one of the biggest questions for me is just like, how do these guys work out? What's their role like? How do they play off each other? What kind of things can they add to the team that maybe we didn't foresee just having this many playable big men? And also, like, what's the jump for Nick Claxton? Does he take a giant jump forward and become, you know, one of these, like, quality NBA players? Or is he still this young guy with just potential and elite switching big that shows some pop offensively occasionally? So I think Clax is really, like, one of the biggest question marks because, like we alluded to on a previous show, is, like, He's a guy that could really change how this team approaches different matchups and different things because he has the potential to really be that good. And like you mentioned on Dayron Sharp, you know, does he play? I'm not really sure, but he's going to play at some point in the NBA this season. He's going to get minutes because of a blowout, because of an injury or whatever it might be. How much does he look like an NBA player? You know, do those deficiencies pop out even more on the NBA floor? Obviously, it'll be a short sample size, but you can usually tell a lot, especially about like NBA bodies and athleticism in certain matchups like that. Yeah, the fact that the Nets have so many options allows them to throw different combinations out there and be matchup dependent. And, you know, I think ultimately, the Nets aren't going to worry about what other teams do. They're going to try and maximize, you know, their greatest strengths. And while the bigs position isn't the greatest strength in terms of talent and superstar talent, as you alluded to a little bit earlier, Nick, it is, you know, a, a depth thing that they have. A depth is certainly a strength that they have there. So it allows them to be a little bit wacky, a little bit crazy and go, okay, well, what can we do here? Can we go just pure LMA at the five with KD at the four? You know, can we continue to get the, the best out of Blake as a five or do we put him out of four and see what he can do out there as well? So I think that being able to figure out all those questions, um, I think that the good thing is that we'll be able to find out the answers relatively soon because uh, Steve Nash is a coach that isn't going to be like, you know, Tom Thibodeau and, and find what his guys are and go, okay, you guys are going to get 38 minutes a night and that's it. It's the, it, it's 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 plain and set in stone. The, it, it's as rigid as possible. Whereas, you know, I think we'll see experimentation, malleability, flexibility from Steve Nash. And uh, from that, hopefully we get uh, some answers to some of the questions we've been talking about. Jack, how would you rank this position group from best player to worst player? Uh, I think I'd go, oh, that's a good question. I think Clax is still to me the best player, Nick. Um, maybe not the most reliable player, but I just, I, I buy in on talent. You know, I think a lot of people know that about me in terms of just why I love basketball. I just love watching the best guys go about it. Um, and I think by the end of the season, Clax probably will be the best player. Um, I'd probably go Blake Griffin next. Um, and you can make a, a very credible argument that he is the best player here because of what he did in the postseason and how reliable and how sturdy and solid defensively that he was. But then I would go LA, then I'd go Blake, uh, then I'd go uh, Paul Millsap, and then I'd go Davon Sharp. But you know, the one and two... You know, it's probably where you go, well, Blake was guarding Giannis at a pretty credible level and was out there closing games for us. But I would expect or hope Clax to be in that position uh, come May, June, when we hope the Nets are uh, playing basketball still. Yeah, I'd say based off what we saw last season, I think Blake is probably still better in terms of consistent of what he could do in a postseason setting. Obviously, he did have some rough moments against Boston, but I think... Steve Nash trusted him a little bit more. But like you said, by season end, Claxton should be that guy. Like he should be able to overpass that. And I think even between Millsap and Aldridge, it's probably a little bit closer than a lot of people want to say, just because I think Millsap might also offer some different versatility in terms of the impact he can have in a smaller role where 
Aldridge doesn't necessarily have to be super involved, but he has to be involved to some aspect. And obviously, Dayron Sharp is at the bottom of the list. But, Jack, anything else you want to touch on with the bigs before we get out of here? No, I think that, like you've alluded to many times in this pod, Nick, it's the fact that we don't have, you know, Andre Blatch, Quincy, AC, and relying on these lackluster guys. Um, and while there is perfect sort of fifth overall, um, there are plenty of good slash good enough guys here with guys that got a bit of pop here and there. You know, I'm looking forward, like we sort of, you sort of touched on with Darren Sharp, you know, in, in junk time minutes. I'm looking forward to seeing some of that stuff. You know, while, you know, Reggie Perry was that sort of guy for us last year, we sort of knew what Reggie could provide, but because Darren Sharp, there's so much untapped potential there and what and, and see what he's putting together and what he can do against NBA-level competition, obviously, you know, he can bully against guys with his just physicality. Um, he'd probably be bullying clacks in, in, you know, in some box out drills as well. So I think that that's going to be fun. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing just all of the things and, you know, seeing how the population and maturation of Clack City continues to progress. Yeah, I think it just kind of evaluating all the guys, even the veterans and how much they have left in the tank in this unique situation and being in Brooklyn and what they can do. Like you said, Dayron, I think the interesting thing with him is like, there's no lock that he's going to be a good NBA player, but there's potential that he could be. And with no disrespect to Reggie Perry, I don't think I ever envisioned him being a, a good NBA player. I envisioned him maybe being, you know, a low-end bench player or something like that, where Sharp has some skills that could pop, but there's some also major question marks in his game, which kind of makes it intriguing, especially on a team like this. But, Jack, always a pleasure, and big thanks to everybody for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.